Has anybody ever heard of a place called Johns Hopkins University? Anybody ever heard of it? Yeah, so we've got some folks. Johns Hopkins University is in Baltimore, Maryland. It is a world-renowned uh, medical research uh, university. Uh, they have a hospital there, a uh, well-known university, as well as all kinds of other um, well-known uh, building, I guess buildings, you would say. It's a sprawling campus in the city of Baltimore. And uh, I've been there on several occasions. On one occasion, I was invited by a friend to have lunch at what is called the Johns Hopkins Club. Now, the Johns Hopkins Club is a private club on campus for alumni and uh, other, pe other people in the university community, faculty, and so forth. And uh, so you have to be invited to go there. And so my friend invited me to have lunch with him at the Johns Hopkins Club. And I went to the, to the club, and we had lunch. And as we were touring the, the club, he took me off to another room that he wanted to show me there at the uh, club. And one, it's called the Nobel Room. And on the windows etched in the glass are the names and years of all the faculty and staff and doctors that have won a Nobel Prize from Johns Hopkins University. There are 29 Nobel Prize winners represented there in that room and in that club. So as I was sitting there, you know, I was sitting there having lunch with my friend, and, you know, it's one of those formal lunches, not like where they, they bring food in like waves, you know, it's like comes in waves, not all at once, and all the silverware is set out in a proper order, and I always, you know, you start outside and you work in or whatever they tell you, right, and there's, so there's a lot of etiquette and so forth, but being in this club, right, this private club, sitting in there among the, the Nobel Prize winners, I could tell you that I felt pretty important, like, to be at that place, right? I felt like, you know, you sit there in a place like that, and you go, wow, I, I've arrived, right? You know, I, I must be pretty important that I am having lunch at the Johns Hopkins Club in Baltimore, right? This, is a, this would be considered a significant uh, place to have lunch with a friend. So I've only been there once, by the way. I've never been invited back. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't use the silverware right or what. I don't know. But uh, most of my time at Johns Hopkins is not going to that club. Most of my time going to Johns Hopkins is spent going to the hospital uh, when I was there. And I would go there to visit those who were sick. And most of the people who go to Johns Hopkins with health issues are seriously ill. We're talking cancer. Uh, we're talking sometimes inoperable cancer. We're talking about uh, children who are suffering from diseases and illnesses that no one can understand. And so they're doing research at that hospital and they're, they're making strides in the medical community and they're doing wonderful work, medical work there. But most of my time was spent going to visit people at the hospital there that were sometimes in very difficult health situations. Now, to do that, I actually had to drive into, inter, into the Baltimore city and I would park in a parking garage, and this is how big the campus was. I would park in the parking garage, then I'd go into one building where I'd go through security and have a security badge and security check, and then I'd have to go walk down in this underground tunnel for quite a ways, and then up several escalators and several flights of stairs to get to the main hospital. And then here in the main hospital, there are different high-rise buildings and different sections based on different uh, parts of the hospital, and this is a huge hospital, and the place is just bubbling with, with activity. I mean, it's, there are people scurrying everywhere in white lab coats, and nurses, and staff, and doctors, and then uh, hospital workers, and then patients coming in, and lines to the checkout, and check-in, and 
check out for patients and different procedures being done in a pharmacy, a big pharmacy with a big waiting room. And there's all this activity when you go into this hospital and you have to find your way. You know, I'm always like checking the map to see where I'm at and where I'm going and checking with visitor center, like, am I on the right track? Because that's how big it is. And so we get to, I get to go visit, but most people don't know that in Johns Hopkins Hospital, in the old building, the original building, which is now administrative offices, most people never see what's there in a place called the Rotunda. And in that Rotunda is this statue of Jesus. It's standing there in the middle of the Rotunda, and you will walk in there, and you walk and you stand before Jesus. Now, Jesus is probably standing two to three times taller than I am. And so when you stand there before Jesus, and it's quiet in there. There's nobody, nobody, because nobody goes there. It's in this old part of the hospital. Most people never see it. But oftentimes, I would stop in there just to give myself a little break from all this happening. Sometimes it would be a hard visit to go visit a family. So I just stop in there for a moment of quiet, maybe to pray, just for a moment of silence. And you know, as I stood there, as I stand there before Jesus, the verse that comes to mind is this verse out of Matthew 11. He says, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that Jesus says, come, but notice what he says about his heart. He says, my heart is gentle and humble, right? Isn't it good to know that when we come to Jesus, that we're coming to someone who's got a gentle and humble heart, right? And as I stand there before that statue, you know what I feel there? Humble. I don't feel the self-importance. I don't feel that I'm that important at all. In fact, I stand before Jesus in that room, in that silence, and I feel humbled. (laughs) Humbled. And that's really (laughs) a totally different feeling, isn't it, to self-importance. And we want to talk about this idea of humility this morning, inhabiting humility. And it's different than being feeling important. (laughs) It's about recognizing where we are as we stand before God and where we stand before Jesus and the Holy Spirit and we recognize the difference (laughs) that we are finite and mortal and God is infinite and immortal. That we are standing before God who also says, come. And you'll receive a gentle and humble spirit. So we're going to look at this today. We've been talking about this series called Inhabit, and we've been talking about uh, living a rule of life. Or in the word rule, how many people like the word rule? Like rule. How many people like rules? Everybody like, yeah, good. I, there's one person here that likes rules. We don't like the word rule, right? It's not a rule. We, so if you want to change that word, change it to practice or discipline or rhythm or pattern of behavior. And so we've been talking about pattern or rhythms of behavior. But a lot of people kind of resist this idea of rule, but really the word rule comes from the Greek word, which means trellis, trellis. Now, a trellis is a structure that helps a plant to grow, right? 
And so the rule that St. Benedict laid out, we're going to be looking at St. Benedict again this morning, is he lays out a trellis, right? He's laying out a trellis to help us grow spiritually. And so that structure or that rule or that rhythm or that pattern, whatever we want, is built and created so that you and I can grow fruitful. Because if a grapevine doesn't have a trellis, it just lays on the ground and the fruit rots on the ground. It needs to be elevated up off the ground and it needs something to grow onto and grow with, right? It, that structure provides for the growth. It's the same thing here in the monastic life, in this rule of life, or the word rule. And here's what Pete Scazzaro says about it. He says, the rule is an exterior framework for an interior journey, a kind of scaffolding to use to build the spiritual structure of our individual life with God. It is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. That's the point of it, right? So whether it's discipline, pattern, rhythm, whatever we call it, that's the aim of that. So St. Benedict actually helps us uh, with this idea of humility. How many people have heard of a 12-step program? You've heard of 12 steps, right? And I, will, I, don't know, I don't remember who historically created the 12-step program, but I am going to claim today that it's St. Benedict. St. Benedict actually created a 12-step program for pride. <laughs> he said, how, how are we going to address pride? What's our 12-step program for pride? Uh, how do we deal with our pride? So he created a 12 steps for humility, right? That's what he calls it in his rule. And we're going to take a look at it. But he uses the illustration of a ladder. And he says, your body is one side of the ladder. Your soul is the other side of the ladder. And you're either climbing up that ladder or descending that ladder, right? And the rungs are the different steps or practices or patterns or attitudes of humility. And the, the hope is that we will grow near to God, right? That we will get near to God. James 4, 8 says this, come near to God and he will come near to you, right? So we, as we grow closer to God, God grows closer to us. This is how this works. That's what James says in James chapter 4, if you want to read the whole chapter. So in this idea here, though, is a ladder, right? So the first question, though, we have to stop and ask ourselves in life right now, maybe think about this. You have a ladder in your life, right? If you use this illustration, where is your ladder propped? Where is it directed? Like, where does that ladder that you're on right now lead you? So if, if I want to go change a light bulb, where do I put the ladder? Do I, where, where do I move the ladder? I move it close to the light bulb, right? I put it directly under the light bulb so I can access the light bulb and change the light bulb, right? It's the same with this ladder that St. Benedict is talking about. If you and I want to grow closer to God, we need to prop our ladders up, our life up, in the direction of God, where God is. And what James tells us is that we get close to God through humility. Humility. I also want to point out, if you go into chapter 4, we're not, I'm sorry I'm not breaking all of chapter 4 down, but if you look at chapter 4, what James says is that to get near to God, to come to God, to come to Jesus, who's gentle and what? Humble, right? That it's not purity that's required. A lot of times we think that, right? We think, well, I'm just not good enough to get to God. Or if I were more pure or clean or whole or whatever, then I would be closer to God. We think purity is the way to God. But if you look at James chapter 4, and if you look at what St. Benedict is saying in his rule, 
we get closer to God through humility. (laughs) Humility is the first step, not purity. Purity comes after humility, right? That as we grow and as we get up off the ground, so to speak, and grow closer to God, then things happen that create more purity in our lives and holiness in our lives, right? But at start, we come to God with humility. We start with humility. And that's why Jesus is, that's what James is saying here in this section. So let's get back to the latter illustration. So actually the 12-step program, I'm not going to share all 12 steps with you this morning. I know you're disappointed, but I'm going to highlight some of the steps that I think are really good ones that St. Benedict talked about. I'm actually using language. I'm not using St. Benedict's language. I'm actually borrowing some language from Joan Chittister, who wrote a book called Wisdom Distilled for the Daily or from the Daily. By, uh, so she took the rule of St. Benedict and kind of modernized it for us. And so I chose to use some of her wording and some of my own wording here. But if we look at it as a ladder, let's take a look at the, the, the rungs in the ladder. So here's one of the rungs. Let God be God. Let God be God. What does that mean? That means who's not God? Who's not God? Yeah, I'm not God. We're not God, right? None of us are God, right? And so we let God be God, uh, and that's part of that first step. In fact, in the 12-step program that's for alcoholics and addicts and, and, and uh, dr- uh, other addicts and people who are related to addicts, in that program is the awareness, is the, the belief that there is a higher, they would call it a higher power, or that there's a God, right? And it's, that's the same sense, that I'm humble enough to say, I'm not God, and there is a God, and it's not me, right? That's humility. And to let God be God, right? And to worship God, and to see God, and to prop our ladders towards God. So this affects every aspect of our lives in general, right? How we see God and how we believe in God. The other rung, another rung is to accept the will of God. To accept the will of God. Now, this requires a humble attitude because we don't often like to accept the will of God for our lives, right? It's not something that we want, especially if we don't like what it is, right? We want to change it, right? But the humble person, according to the rule or the rhythm or the pattern, would say this, what can I learn from the circumstances of my life? What is God trying to teach me in this particular circumstance? That's humility, right? is the ability to say, yeah, I, don't, I may not like the circumstance I'm in. I'm not, I may not like what the will of God is for me right now, but what is God teaching me? What, is God, what, what can I learn from this circumstance or this difficulty? Or, and how can I accept the will of God? Isn't that part also part of the 12-step program, to accept the things that I cannot change, right? That's part of that. Notice that St. Benedict already wrote all this stuff in the 6th century, right? We, you know, we came up with later, we think we, we've got it all figured out. Again, humility tells us we don't have it all figured out. Uh, the, the, another rung is this, obedience. We love that word, right? Everybody loves it. Nobody likes that word. We all think of our pets. We think of our dog. We think of our cats, although cats aren't very obedient, but you get the sense, right? You know, our dog, right? We think, well, God, I'm not just God's pet, right? I'm not just, no, we're going to actually talk about obedience. We're going to actually, because you asked for it, I'm kidding, we're going to have a whole sermon on obedience next week, just on obedience, uh, so I'm not going to get much into it today. But let me ask this question just to get you to think a little bit about obedience. Uh, how obedient are you to your cell phone? How obedient are you to your cell phone? How, how quickly do you respond to your cell phone versus the voice of God in your life? Just think about it. 
We'll talk more next week about that. Uh, but obedience is really affects our ability to listen to God and listen for the voice of God and respond to it, right? Obedience is not about hearing the voice of God. It's about how we respond to the voice of God. Uh, another wrong is this, accept difficulties with patience. Accept difficulties with patience. The key word here is patience. A lot of times we're not patient. I don't know about you. I am not patient in difficult circumstances. I want things to change right away. I want things different in the moment, right as soon as possible. But also an attitude of patience and an attitude of humility also plays out in our relationships as well. Take, for example, how patient am I or you or I with listening to the ideas of other people rather than asserting our own ideas into the conversation or into the relationship, right? So humility would say, you know, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to be patient enough to listen to your ideas and to listen to how you see the world maybe that's different than the way I see the world. So I'm going to be patient enough to listen to your ideas, right? Here's another way of saying this is uh, to interject a phrase, and you've heard us talk about this before, the phrase, I could be wrong. Has, do you ever say that? I could be wrong. I was uh, teaching a class last quarter at the seminary, and as we were talking about the subject matter and discussing in class what was going on, I found myself occasionally saying to the students, I could be wrong. I don't have this all figured out. We're still trying to figure this out. I hope this is helpful for you, but don't, I'm not an expert here, right? I think sometimes admitting that we're not the experts, that we have all the answers about everything in life is humility, right? To say I could be wrong or I don't have all the answers is an act of humility. Another one is this uh, one rung called confession and accountability. We need the opportunity to confess our sins to one another and be held accountable to not repeating them. This is hard for us, right? Because we really need somebody in our lives that we can trust for this. And that's not a lot of people, right? And what's hard for us is that we want to confess, we want to be able to go to God and to someone else with our deepest, darkest secrets, but do we trust people enough to do that, right? And we need people to trust that we can do that. And that people that will not come to us with shame and blame and guilt. We've got that down pat, right? You know, we, we're real good at shame and blame and guilt in our society and in ourselves. What we need is grace and truth-filled grace in our response to our confession. And then someone who says, I'm going to help hold you accountable to that not happening in the future, that you will grow from this. And then the accountability is what helps growth. So we need both confession and accountability to grow spiritually and closer to God. And that takes what? Humility, to be able to do that. And then the last one I would mention is this one. Be content in all circumstances. Paul talked about this in the Bible. And this humility actually enables us to be content. Because what is our discontentment. Think about what is driving our discontentment inside of us. It's not having enough or not having what we want or not making it, you know, our selfish ambition and our self-importance is always leading us to never having enough or being enough. Whereas humility says, in God, you are enough, right? You matter. You have value and worth. You are perfectly enough in God's eyes. And nothing more that you can do to change God's love for you that you're enough, right? But, and so we 
contentment is really feeling like I'm not enough or I don't have enough, right? So to be content is an act of humility. It requires humility. It also affects our possessions and our material things as well and our money. Now, I'm not going to go into the other rungs of the ladder that St. Benedict talks about, but just a, they're more practical and specific. And for example, one of them is keep your head down when you walk around. Have you ever seen the monks, you know, as they, they put their hoods on and they walk with their heads down? That's actually about humility, right? That's a practice of humility. Uh, they talk about silence and keeping your words few and not laughing too much and things like that. So those were more specific. But what James, we want to go back to James again, because uh, James gives us uh, some wisdom on humility. In James 4.10, he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Get that? So when we are humbling ourselves, God is the one who does the lifting. And so here's the paradox in humility. And if you go back to the ladder, think about it this way. As you I ascend the ladder through humility. Humility is the way that we ascend to God. So really, what is humility? We think of humility as descending, right? So think about this. This is the paradox. As I take steps of humility that seem to be downward in this life, seem to be mobily downward, mobile, downward mobility, right? It actually is taking us upward towards God. But the more you and I try and strive for pride and self-importance and things and selfish ambition in our lives and climb that ladder that the world props up for us, we are actually descending God's ladder and moving further away from God. Does that make sense? Do you, do you see the paradox here? That really it's through the descent, through humility, that we reach up to God. It's a descent to God. Does that make sense? That's, that's the paradox, right? And that's what James is saying. Trust God. Be humble enough to trust God and allow God to lift you up and say to you, you are enough. You matter, right? I, thought, I wanted to leave you with a picture of humility this morning before we celebrate communion together. And I want to take us back to Johns Hopkins University. And I want to show you a picture of Grayson. This picture was taken 10 years ago. This is Grayson. He's six years old at the time. Grayson had a, had a, a tumor wrapped up in his digestive system. And in, that, in the diagnosis, they had to go in and do surgery on Grayson. They removed uh, his gallbladder. They removed half his stomach and 80% of his pancreas. Then he went to Johns Hopkins for chemotherapy. And the picture that you saw was of Grayson standing before the statue of Jesus I told you about at the beginning. And he's standing there at the feet of Jesus, and he is, uh, you saw that he, was, he didn't have any hair because he had just had a chemo, he'd been going through chemo there at Johns Hopkins, and it was so complex that that's why he went to Johns Hopkins. That's how complex his case was. And so he's standing there before Jesus, and what you don't see in the picture is that he left a note for Jesus at the statue. And it was a simple note. And here's what Grayson wrote in the note. He said this, Dear Jesus, this is Grayson. If you could just heal the other kids, please. Thank you very much. I think about that. That's humility. <laughs> to stand before Jesus and say, I can't do anything about this. <laughs> about my cancer. About the other kids' cancer. But Jesus, I know you can. Do you know what the 
statue is called at Johns Hopkins. The name of the statue is Divine Healer. That's the title of the statue. And Grayson stands there, so this little guy before this towering Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, who are, and I am gentle and humble in spirit, right? That's humility. Grayson is exercising an attitude of humility when he comes to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're bigger than my cancer. You're bigger than my problems. You're, di- you're bigger than my, the life circumstances I find myself in. But the other act of humility is, notice who he didn't pray for, himself. Humility is considering others' needs greater than your own. That's humility, the Bible says. Grayson shows us humility. What it means to stand at the feet of Jesus and to come to Jesus.